Welcome to the podcast, Meet My Potential, where Deepa chats with leaders around the world once a week or simply shares her insights. This podcast is for those who aspire to meet their highest inner potential. Each episode brings you one simple tool that you can apply at work or in life. Hello and welcome to this podcast on systemic approach. Today we have with us a very special guest by the name Alain Cordin. Alain is a master certified coach. He has a coaching school called Metasystems Coaching in France and in Romania. Alain has been working with many organizations in Europe. Welcome Alain. Thank you, Diva. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. Tell us, what is systemic approach coaching? Ooh, okay. A systemic is a way of thinking. A systemic approach is a way of less linear, less segmenting, less expert-oriented what has been done in the past. Now, one common uh, mistake is to think that, uh, for instance, there's individual coaches and then systemic coaches. In other words, that work with systems that could be teams and organizations. But systemic coaching is on an individual basis. It could be a way of even thinking about what's happening in my life. It could be an introspection approach in a systemic way. So it's just a different way of thinking and perceiving. In other words, looking at patterns. Pattern recognition is important. Pattern reproduction is important. In other words, it's almost looking at the world or anything that happens in a holographic way. In other words, seeing what fractals repeat here and there. And, and then, of course, what to do with those fractals, uh, how to evolve in what we do. So to be more practical, I, I could say if I'm coaching, once it happened with me, as a matter of fact, I was coaching a CEO. I, I arrived in, in the building and I was immediately notified that there's an emergency and he had to leave uh, to go to another location. He was going to drive there but that the meeting was canceled. And I immediately changed my, first I was really disappointed, and then changed and said, well, I can go with the CEO on the drive and, and we can have a discussion while we're driving to wherever he's going. And so I, I kind of reacted in a more entrepreneurial way, adapting to the situation, and ended up in the car with the CEO who got stuck in a traffic jam really you know was pesting about how things were not moving and finally he found the side road and a big avenue and and got to his location almost on time and now during the whole discussion in the car he was talking about going to a situation where he had to negotiate with a partner and that he was really worried about it and that the, the, the negotiation partnership was getting stuck so for me what was really interesting is what is the situation teaching me about his issue? In other words, how does he get stuck in the traffic and he got stuck with his partner? How did he find a side avenue and reacted? But also for me, I came to meet him, but we were stuck because it was canceled. But I immediately reacted with a side avenue. So there's sort of behavioral fractals that are happening in our relationships that gives me an indication of what's going on in our world together. And when we arrived, he says, well, any advice? And I said, well, the only advice I can give you is what I observed. You got stuck in a progression and you were really pesting and fuming, which was not really, you know, a solution. But suddenly you woke up and took a side road. You find a much better avenue and we're here almost on time. I wonder how that's going to apply to your situation. 
Okay? And it was just a sort of two-minute reaction. At the end, I didn't even know, but I was sort of catching on to everything that was going on and getting a feeling about it. It's it instinctive. So becoming a, a systemic coach is learning how to read patterns, to catch on to patterns, to use the patterns, and to see what kind of questions you can ask either an individual or a system so that they change the patterns. They know how to function in a pattern in an intelligent way. Excellent. So it's a lot about recognizing patterns and using those patterns to question yourself in the way how are you showing up from in small factors and small instances to in bigger situations. How is that yes. impacting you in the way you show up in situations? Yes. Can you give an example of a systemic approach in a much larger scale in an organization? The next step, much larger, gets into the larger complexity. But the next step, for instance, is you're in a meeting. It's another example. I like to proceed by examples because pictures say a lot more than theory. Exactly. Starting a meeting and it's supposed to start at 10 and I may say, okay, it's 10, shall we start? And immediately the people in the room or somebody is going to react in a very classical way, which is to say George and Henry are missing. Uh, which is nothing to do with it's 10 o'clock, let's start. But it's saying, let's privilege whoever's absent and postpone beginning. Now, usually the person who's saying this will say it loud enough so the whole group hears. In other words, they're taking the group hostage, saying, are we going to privilege relationships or are we going to privilege effectiveness? Now, it's also putting whoever said let's start as being the bad guy who's uh, not taking into account obvious absentees, as if he didn't even see, or she didn't even see, the two people who are late. It's like saying you don't notice two people are late, hello, you know. So from this basic interaction, it's just a stimulus response, and seeing what it does in the system in a few minutes, you can sense something in the culture. In other words, there's an opposition, a polarity between uh, goal-oriented people and relational-oriented people, and the relational-oriented people are taking everybody hostage to postpone meeting deadlines and respecting procedures and processes. Now, basically, it means that if we agree in a meeting to wait for the latecomers, because that's more important than having them feel... You know, they're, they're off or they should be guilty for not being on time. It's a protection. It's a co-protection strategy. So if you extrapolate, you can say every team adapts to the slowest team. Every factory adapts to the slowest factory. Everybody covers up for each other's shortcomings in time management, at least, and maybe in other things. So how do you solve this on the large scale in the company? if you don't approach the fact that it's in every one of the cells of the system, the DNA happens everywhere all the time in minute tractals. So in a way, systems approach is you can understand things locally, but you have to solve them locally. And that means in every cell, or you need to have a viral approach that will change the patterns in every cell. Uh, so it changes the approach of how you accompany organizations and how you accompany people and how you accompany teams and so on because it's all about the patterns it's not about the personalities it's not about this or that it's not about 
explaining the thing. Why is it there? Well, because of history. That doesn't change anything. Uh, the real question is what kind of viral approach can we have that we start in different teams that, that will spread and affect the larger system in the shortest possible time so as to come to a higher respect of deadlines mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. throughout the system uh, on all the levels. Okay. Now, if you see this in a team, you can extrapolate it and say, and other teams or not. But if you see it in an executive team, then there's a good chance that it's distributed in the system because everybody is kind of monkey see, monkey do. So in a way, it's the same thing as with an individual. You need to catch on to patterns immediately, extrapolate, you know, and then decide what you're going to do to start inoculating viral change. Excellent. Excellent. So every little thing becomes information in, yes. this, in this kind of yes. coaching. And it's just in time information. You can't come with a model. So there's a lot of deep listening here, observation. Yes. And sort of immediate intelligent reaction. I mean, intelligence means to read between the lines. Intel is mm -hmm. inter lecture. So it means to read between. So intelligent means you come to a situation and you don't necessarily analyze, but you see what happens between. You see the interactions and the patterns interactions. You see beyond what is being said. You hear beyond what is being said. You look at the patterns of what's being said. So you don't come with a model, which would be to be intellectual, which has the same root, but in the past tense. Intellectual is past intelligence. So if you come with... A, Something that has worked elsewhere, it won't work here. If you come with a model you learned in school, it's just a model you learned in school. It won't work here. You need to react immediately with no model to what's going on, and you're a part of it. So it's a very situational solution yes. that you are providing to the people on the, spot on the spot by observing the patterns that are being rolled yeah, out yeah. there. Excellent. How would you scale up this kind of systemic approach, especially when the strategy needs to be rolled out in the organization? Well, I mean, you can do this with, uh, I have done that recently with a group of 90 people in a big ballroom. They're the CEO, the executive team, and everybody immediately below, all the key players. And it's sort of orchestrating a, a work together that is actually serves to inoculate different types of patterns or actually serves more to inoculate pattern disruption. So I'll have them work in a certain way with a few directions that actually pushes them out of their usual patterns. And mm -hmm. this needs to be done again and again. So there's a, there's a kind of training to mm -hmm. pattern disruption where they have to adapt to something new that works better. So within two, three days, actually, in this case, it was three days with 90 people from the top of an organization. They were kind of like in a training setting, but they went home every night. So it's non-residential. But during three days, they were practicing new patterns that were disrupting the old ones. And they were seeing it was so effective that they decided that when they would go back, they'd continue on those new patterns in all their meetings rather than doing what they did before. So if you change the top 90 in an organization, that's about 10 teams that actually manage other teams, 
you're massively inoculating a new kind of virus that will probably spread down. Now you can start in part of the organization. In this case, actually, it was a country management team. And it's not the headquarters of the, of the corporate group. Now, once you do that in a site system like this country management team, of course, the results are going to change and everybody's going to notice it and they may say, what are you doing? And then they can gradually spread it to other local systems or towards headquarters services. So that's a strategy in systems. It's sometimes best not to start with the top where there's the most resistance. <laughs> Thank you. And what are some challenges that people encounter when they are trying to change their patterns? Because people get used to, systems get used to certain patterns, certain way of behaving. And then suddenly when you go there and change the patterns, there's a certain challenge or a certain resistance that you can come across from others. So what kind of challenges have you seen when there is pattern change in organizations? Well, the resistance in a way is normal to something that's pushed top down. In other words, in organizations where people really are considered as partners, and usually the speech is we're all partners and we're working as partners and so on and so forth. So there's delegation and collaboration. That's the talk. But as soon as there's any kind of crisis, uh, the whole thing sort of breaks down because it becomes top down and directive and so on and so forth. People don't really understand that being told their partners and it's important that they have ownership and that they commit motivated and so on and so forth. And in the next sentence being told top down to do something or else. In other words, there's a big discrepancy in most management in organizations. That's right. The resistance is not to the quality of the change. The resistance is to the way the change is pushed by centralized controlled systems. And it's pushed down. And basically, it's not treating people as if they were autonomous, they could think, etc., etc., etc. So there's a resistance to the double language. So the resistance is basically to the way the change is pushed yes. and not to the change exactly. Not to the change itself. If you ask the people concerned, what change do we need to do considering the situation, et cetera, et cetera, they probably embrace the change if it's not pushed. So resistance to change is basically the first law of thermodynamics. In other words, we know this, that if you put any energy in one direction, it will create the corresponding energy in the opposite direction and it creates heat and this is what we call resistance in heaters okay mm -hmm. so any leadership systems that says how do you deal with resistance i'll answer well quit pushing in a stupid way because they're intelligent to resist the way you're doing things not your idea the way you're pushing your idea Mm -hmm. So what is one advice that you would give to organizations who are making big transformational changes happen? Well, if they think they're going to push it down, first think of it on the executive team, have some nice talks and so on, and then have rollouts, which is roll downs, really. Rollout is not a rollout. It's a push down. It's not going to work. It's just going to be a lot of talk. Okay. 
and usually that's what they want. They want to be applauded for the intelligence of their ideas and so on and so forth. So everybody comes and applauses. They know very well it's not going to happen. And next year there's going to be a rollout on some other bright idea they're going to come up with. I mean, show business is show business. It's not <laughs> cultural transformation. If you want real cultural transformation, it's better to go in small steps that start from the bottom. In other words, a company, the translation rather than the transition or the transformation, rather than talk about it, have it emerge from the people. They, they know what transformation needs to happen. They're not, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're right in the business. They're not on top of that mountain thinking intellectually. They're right in the valley. They're planting. They're, they're doing the work. So they know exactly what's going on and what needs to happen. And they can start transformation. It needs to be grassroots carried. Now, of course, with the vision that the transformation is needed. But it's better to have a small change that works than big speeches about nothing that's going to ever happen. We've been hearing the same speeches for the last eight years. Excellent. You spoke about grassroots and you spoke about emergence from the people. So in an organization that's extremely large, what advice would you give to bring convergence on grassroots rollouts? Well, a grassroots rollout happens everywhere, in every cell. In other words, if you have a top-down organization, it's top-down starting with the executive team to the next level. And then it's repeated from that next level to the next level and repeated. Okay, so you, you need to have a sort of pattern recognition way of how it happens in, in every meeting. If in every meeting in the system you have a completely different process, like I said earlier, it needs to start locally. It needs to start locally everywhere. But it's everywhere, even at the top of the organization, yeah. even in the middle, etc. It doesn't mean you take the whole organization and start with the sweepers and the janitors and so on. It means that in every smaller system, in every floor, in every team, etc., the micro patterns need to change. So where do you start and what kind of viral approach can you have where when you start the results are measured, the excitement goes up, and it's communicated, so the neighbors will want to do it. In other words, you don't need to intervene everywhere as if you're dealing with a system that's not connected. But if you do something that is perceived by the system as intelligent and you let the connections happen, the virus spreads. There's a very famous saying from Mahatma Gandhi, be the change that you want to see in the world. In other words, start locally. The only way change is going to happen is by starting locally. To think that it's going to be driven by the top, by the United Nations or something. Come on, quit dreaming. It's not going to happen. The same thing as in an organization. I mean, headquarters is not there to drive change. It's sitting on top. It's controlling. It's the problem. It's not the solution. Now, paradoxically, they say... This is to get everybody to go to sleep. We lead change management. We do change management. That's what the headquarters pretend. Well, if they did it, they've been sitting on top for years. Where's the change they've been managing? Actually, when people say we do change management, they, they're in control. <laughs> they're not going to change. 
So it's pushing out the decision making as far as possible in the periphery. It's looking at all the processes, including decision making, including consulting, including information flow, including everything. The patterns include decision making, of course, or postponing. Yeah. You know, what kind of postponing strategy you have, et cetera, et cetera. All these are patterns that need to be recognized and then gradually dealt with with viral solutions. Excellent. What is one vitamin that is needed to ensure that viral solutions are spreading? Well, measure. In other words, if you bring a solution mm -hmm. somewhere and you measure, for instance, I, and then you talk about it, in other words, communication about the measure and the result, it can have an effect. So if I decide, okay, I'm going to insulate my apartment and save on heating, it's good to do the numbers. In other words, how much did it cost and how much is my return over how many years and what did I gain from it? And in a way, it communicated so other people understand they're stupid if they don't do it. Okay? I got rid of my car. I can, I can rent a car every weekend of the week year it'll cost me less than having my own okay? in other words if, I, if you have your own car in certain conditions it's probably the most stupid thing you can do considering you can have a different car every weekend you have the choice the variety depending on how you're going to use it and so on and so forth so come on if, if, if you do the change you measure the results you measure the benefits and you communicate to everybody is going to have an effect because somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else is going to do it. Excellent. It happens from the bottom up. It's like milk today. 20 years ago, there's hardly any substitute milk. Do you think centralized systems pushed for alternate milk? No. They were all bought by the milk industry and so on and so forth, spreading the poison. Gradually, now you can hardly go in a store where you don't have alternate milks. Okay? How did it happen? Was it centrally driven? No. It's people who experimented, talked about it, experimented, talked about it. They created the market in spite of producers. Excellent. So people listening out there find local solutions, observe what's going on, recognize the patterns, challenge the patterns, find local solutions. And of course, the most important is to measure what solutions you've put in place and communicate that, measure the results and communicate them. And that's how you spread it. On the results. Yeah. Measure the results. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. 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 People uh, get excited for results or, or else it's just, it's just pure ideology. Ideological change doesn't lead to very far, but if you have change that brings excellent results, it's everybody for it. Great. Thank you very much for these insights. Would you like to share one last message with the audience before we close the call? I think I've been talking a lot already. It's time for silence. <laughs> <laughs> And that in itself is a wonderful message to people is take time to be silent and observe what's going on. That's your very first step. Thanks very much, Alain, for being here with us. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to know more how you can meet your potential, check out www.meetmypotential.com 
That's www.meetmypotential.com. Join us again. And until then, stay cool.